In the theater, the journey to the stage often begins with the producer, who has to maintain the delicate balance between creativity and management when mounting a production. Hello, I'm Gordon Cox from Variety, and joining me today are four producers who are bringing a new energy to both commercial and not-for-profit theater. With us are Patrick Cutulo, Eric Falkenstein, Jenny Gersten, and Jill Furman-Willis. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Do you uh, sense a generational difference in your approach to the shows you produce and how you produce them uh, versus uh, producers who have done it uh, in the past? Eric, let's start with you. Okay. Um, well, I, I, sure, but I don't want to talk about them. Um, I just think, right. of, I think of them instantly. I, I know Jill this and Jenny Jill and well. Jenny, Jill and Jenny, yes. I, I, um, we don't know each other quite as well. But, um, but, and I don't want to talk too much for them, but, but both of them have brought um, you know, big-time musicals to Broadway um, and, uh, and with, with great success. And um, I think that musicals tend to be sort of more earth-shaking. I tend to produce plays. But, um, but of course, they're in bigger houses with bigger audiences and have bigger afterlifes in other, other towns and, and countries and, and, uh, and in the Heights, in the case of uh, the Tony winner for In the Heights over there, and, um, and Hair through, uh, with the public. And, um, and I think that's, that those are two great representations of new, of new generation uh, producers, yes. How do you, what characterizes them as, um, how, do, how is that, how are those two shows, for instance, different from uh, stuff that has happened in the past. Well, Do you see it? I'm sorry to be talking about yeah, it so okay. much. Yeah. Jill. <laughs> but, um, we'll get your opinion soon. Yeah. But seriously, In the Heights is a great example because um, Jill sort of Jill sort of took that from Colonel. I mean, these were kids who were creating it, and Jill, Jill, this, she'll tell you the story. But she sort of plucked them and and realized how great how great uh, a story they had, how great a musical they had, and and developed it, took it off Broadway, and then brought it to Broadway, and that's that's a major major thing. You know, especially for for a young producer, yeah. and uh, and that musical is, is sort of a new was a new sound that we really hadn't heard. So that's a, it's a great example. I'm here to talk about other people. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Did you were you aware of that when you? Um, yeah, I mean, right. personally, I'm very interested in in bringing fresh new perspectives to Broadway and and unique original voices. And it's a pretty risk averse business. Um, understandably, it's it's a, it's difficult to um, you know no one knows what's going to work. And um, you know, audiences are fickle, and certainly now with the recession, it's much harder. You know, they're much tighter with their with their um, the entertainment dollars that they spend. But um, I I was blown away by Lin Manuel Miranda when I saw it. I first saw it in the basement of the Drama Bookshop uh, in February of 2003, and I sat forward in my seat in a way that I I you know, never do. And um, it was music I had never heard on stage before. And he, you know, the show is so different now from from what it was, but. He played Usnavi, he was Luton Manuel, was the uh, bodega owner and his method of communication was rap. And it was really, it wasn't scary rap, it was just storytelling, really brilliant creative storytelling. So, um, so I was fascinated by it. Um, but, you know, I, I would never have been able to do it without, um, without two pretty legendary producers in the business, Kevin McCollum and Jeffrey Seller. And, um, you know, I, I happened to see it first. But without them, it, it never would have gotten made, and, and um, it was it was great, and, and so great to learn from them. And I, I you know, they're 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 very young, but you know, they're sort of the old, older generation of producers because they've been around for so long. Um, but um, you know, they're they're so great because they're so creative and they think outside the box, and they really want to bring they want to do the same thing, and they have done the same thing in bringing new original voices to the stage. So, 
Do you, this is now a question for all of you, do you feel as um, being on the younger end of the producing scale, do you feel a responsibility to bring in new voices in terms of the you know, actors, directors, writers? I think it's vital. Yeah. I mean, I think it's the most, I mean, theater constantly regenerates because of new influx of energy and talent and youth, frankly. I mean, youth is a part of the any arts movement. It's because it's new ideas and it's new energy and it's new things that motivate everyone, audiences and artists, to kind of do new interesting things and, and, and inspire us. So I think it's as important as doing, you know, the classics. I mean, I think there's a balance for that. In, in any art form, but particularly Broadway, it's so important. The new voices are vital, but the, the classics, I mean, I think about, I'm going to show for you now, and, <laughs> you know, and, say, <laughs> and say that, you know, doing All My Sons with that cast that you did last year was incredibly important to keeping audiences sort of connected to the history of what theater is, that Arthur Miller is one of America's most important voices. And for you to bring together that amazing cast and that beautiful production was significant. So I think it's, I think it's a balance. Yeah, and having and the casting, some of the casting choices that you make to get a younger audience that's that right. might not otherwise go to see, Miller, to see that yeah. play, to bring them in, I think that's incredibly valuable, definitely. Um, for me, next to normal, sort of like like Jill's experience with In the Heights, um, I saw with who I mentioned, David Stone, who is the lead producer um, and has been my mentor for the past ten years. I started working for him right out of college. I started as his assistant as Vagina Monologues okay. is ninety nine, right before Vagina Monologues opened off Broadway, and mm -hmm. it was really an old fashioned apprenticeship. You know, I sort of lucked out, and David's been an incredible mentor. Um, and we saw, it was then called Feeling Electric right. at Nymph mm -hmm. um, back in 2005, and we just looked at each other, and hearing that, hearing Tom and Brian's score was, it was unlike anything I'd ever heard before. And, you know, the subject matter was scary to us as, you know, as producers to be able to sell that and market it, but there was just something about it um, that spoke to me, and I, I you know, I mean, the, the Tom and Brian, what they had to say was just something that I felt needed to be seen, and um, so to be a part of that was. And I'll never forget, I ran into Patrick right after he saw it at Nymph. And you that, uh, that same performance? Yeah, and then, and then I ran to you at Starbucks, and you were going bananas and so <laughs> excited. And it was, was so amazing to see, and that's so rare. The energy was just like, like, I just couldn't, yeah. I mean, it was something that you feel. I mean, I think that's what you do as a producer, really, is you just trust your gut. It's not, it's, it's so much about instinct, and there's no formula. And, you know, and the, the success of Next Normal is really encouraging to me as a young producer, because those are the, that's, that's the kind of stuff that I want to produce. And so the fact that it's been embraced by the critics and that audiences are embracing it, and the, the audiences, I was just at the theater last night, are so young. It, it's unbelievable. It's like a rock concert there every night. I mean, and you know, every night there are 100 people at the stage door, young kids for, I mean, there are no stars in the cast. I mean, and, and they're just treating, the, it's like a rock concert. It's really, it's, it's really encouraging. And I, I think, you know, people were like, is it commercial? and how are you going to sell a musical, a, a rock musical about bipolar manic depression? And I'm like, I, I don't know. I just know that it's good. And I hope that the success of that show and the success of things like In the Heights can, you know, kind of inspire artists to just take risks and write what they feel and not worry about what's commercial necessarily, mm -hmm. I think. Do you feel like you um, 
that you are more um, interested in taking risks than the sort of older guard, for lack of a better term, in terms of um, producing? I know I am. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's it's scary, but it's it's thrilling if it works. Um, you know, it, you never know if it's going to work. But um, I, uh, I, it's why, in fact, everyone keeps asking me what I'm doing next. And there are a couple of things that I'm, I'm looking at and in the Heights is hopefully we're doing a movie with Universal Pictures and hopefully that will shoot, I don't know when, but maybe at the end of the summer. But I haven't found my next thing because I want my next thing to sort of blow me away in the same way that In the Heights did. I want to find another, I, I'm never going to find another young Lin-Manuel, but I'd like to find someone, um, you know, who excites me in the same way. And, you know, you want to take risks, but, you, you know, it's a business. So I always believed that In the Heights was going was gonna to work. I believed that it, it wasn't a Latino show, it was a universal show. So you, know, you always have to think about that and think about the bottom line. But um, if you can do that and creatively take risks, absolutely, I'm all for it. I keep thinking about Passing Strange because the public did a musical called Passing Strange a couple of years ago and it went very well downtown and so there was some interest commercially from Elizabeth McCann and the the, current, the then chairman of the Schubert organization, Gerald Schoenfeld, and they brought Passing Strange to Broadway with the public. And those are some very, you know, the, I mean, those are some classic Broadway producers. Some venerable and names, yeah, Venerable indeed. Yeah. And so for them to, and Passing Strange was a, a hip African-American new pop songwriter doing sort of his story his way, and it was very kind of rock concert style show. And for them to be on that show was... I thought a great sort of influx of the old and the young. I loved working on that show for that reason. In turn, you've uh, we've all sort of mentioned in passing finding new talent, like finding Lin Manuel and finding uh, Feeling Electric. Can you tell me a little bit about that process? Like, what do you do? You go see a lot of readings. You go to a lot of festivals. What what else is? How else do you sort of keep involved with uh, you know the new sort of up and comers? I see pretty much everything at um, the Nymph Festival I do. I mean, and even if there are things that aren't my taste, it's just good to get a sense of what what people, what artists are writing about, you know? And it's interesting because there are a lot of sort of recurring themes that, that come up as sort of, you know, hot button issues that are topics that are sort of interesting to artists like right now. And it's good to just see what's out there. So I just try to, you know, go to a lot of readings, go to the, you know, festivals and, you know, some are submissions from agents that you know send you things. So yeah, yeah. I do the same thing, and then you know if you go to showcases, composer showcases, um, you know you know I'll take composers out to lunch who I find interesting, and you know I want to find out more about what they're doing, and so. Do you find theater as an industry is obviously full of tradition? Um, do you find as uh, you have uh, tried to make your own mark as a producer, uh, do you find that you think in different ways that maybe? Uh, that you encounter some resistance from um, some people who've been maybe doing it a little longer than you and do it in different ways. Do you is there pushback ever um, with your ideas versus sort of maybe some of your collaborators who've been doing it a little longer and have a, a different way of doing something? You're looking at me. I'm so looking at you. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think I think as yes. Um, I think that um, there's a lot of ingrained and on Broadway in particular. I mean, um, there's a lot of ingrained knowledge. Um, about how things work, it's a small industry. I think that um, there are there are companies specifically that we call ad agencies and and marketing groups and online marketing groups and 
um, and um, I guess they sort of they they're more they're sort of more ingrained in that order. Meaning, ad agencies have been around the longest, then probably marketing groups, and then the online. And I think that there are certain things that have worked, and there are certain things that are evolving. And I think that that sometimes, you, especially as a young producer, you might feel a certain kind of artwork might work better, and you you sort of you sort of run up against. I think less so. I find less so our producer colleagues who might be a lot older. Than, than some of the you know some of the uh, established um, some of the established sort of hired hands again sometimes even the publicists you know they say well this is how you approach you know sort of this publication and I don't know that it has to be negative tension but I think it's, there's a lot of give and take about about how to approach these things is can you think of a specific example of that yeah I mean um, sure I um, you know, this I'm I'm in the in the midst of uh, Miracle Worker, which is which is struggling right now. I mean, um, it's uh, it's the word of mouth is great among people who've who've come and see it and know that it's sort of this reward, this giant reward at the end of the show that makes you cry, makes everyone cry with your joyful tears. But um, uh, I was actually um, I was actually in the hospital with the with the birth oh. of my my son when they were doing the photo shoot. And I was, and I, and it wasn't really what I wanted. I really wanted something kinetic about that final scene. And, and it turned out that they came up with these beautiful photos, but they were very, that they, but they were very much sort of portraits. And so you got our stars, Allison Pill and Abigail Breslin. Amazing moment where Helen Keller breaks through, and I wanted that big action. So, you know, it was that was hard for me, and and um, and we sort of struggled on how to do it. We finally got in production shots that are much more active. And, and that's that's a good example, but it was something I just had to deal with. You know. Patrick, you talked a little bit about how you got started. You've been working with David Stone for ten years, you said. Yeah. So through Wicked, through all that, right? Started at Vagina Monologues yeah. way before Wicked. I was involved. You know, it was it's, it was an interesting path because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I mean, I know I always loved theater, and I kind of David was is my first job out of college, and. You know, I, I really lucked out getting you know, to work for a mentor like David. As you mentioned, there's something, there's sort of an old school nature to that path. Like that yeah. is uh, how a lot of people did it. Well, he started the with days. the white, he started with Barry and Fran Weisler. Right. So he sort of, I think, modeled, um, modeled a lot of, you know, the way that he's treated me um, based on his relationship with Barry and Fran. And we, you know, I started out as his assistant and um, the first show I co-produced with him was Spelling Bee which we saw um, together up at uh, Barrington Stage Company. Right. And he said, you should do this with me. And I loved the show and the opportunity to work with James Lapine and Bill Finn, who were two of my heroes, um, was great. I mean, and he totally you know, gave me that opportunity. Um, which is wonderful yeah. because there aren't that many producers who sort of, hmm. I, I mean, I guess you could call it promote from within. Although, I mean, yeah. if you, you know, I, I, and, and it, it's, it's, it's wonderful that yeah. you were given that opportunity. and that you work so closely with them now. Yeah. And so if I could also f find out from your three colleagues how you guys got started, because I know you all have very different histories. Um, let's start with Jenny. Well. You have a, you have a family I in have the business. <laughs> <laughs> I am the odd sheep at this table because I do represent the nonprofit producer. You do, true. And I was raised in a, a nonprofit household. My mother was initially a modern dancer and then became a executive director of a dance company for um, most of my childhood and um, and then she went on to um, become a, an arts developer working on 42nd Street. My father um, is a theater producer in the nonprofit and when I well he started out as a stage manager and then 
became the associate producer of the Public Theater. Uh, now that is your exact title, correct? It is. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I just got it. No. Yeah. <laughs> I just inherited it. No. Um, yeah. So so my dad was. Um, uh, at the public from 1960 to 1978, and then the past 25 years he's been the executive director of Lincoln Center Theater. So m the dinner table at my house was very much about like, oh, I asked this person for a million dollars today and it went really well, or we've had this board meeting and this issue came up at the board meeting. And so uh, that was my schooling, and that's, and I, um, I really admire my dad, so I, re I really did choose to follow in his footsteps. Yeah. Then how, once you decided to follow that path, what, what were your first steps on it? How did well, when I was, you know, in high school and college, I did summer internships in different theaters, and then um, I didn't study it in college. I was an archaeology major. Um, just I thought I'd do four years of other. And uh, then when I graduated, I um, was the... Uh, administrative assistant at a, the 52nd Street Project, which is a, was a very grassroots organization that worked with inner city kids and theater artists to create original theater. And I sort of moved my way up through the ranks there and learned how to write grants and fundraise, and then I got other theater jobs out of that. Right, right. And then um, most recently, before the public, you were at uh, Naked Angels. That's right, yeah, I was artistic director of Naked Angels. Right, yeah. right, which it turns out is the same theater company that originated uh, next fall. And so, Jill, tell us how you um, got started. When did you first decide? I mean, you also have a father who does I do, I do. Um, um, I started actually in the film business. So right. every, every job I had after college was in the film business in some capacity. Um, I was at ICM in New York, and then I went out to LA and, you know, took my boss's dog home from the office, you know, <laughs> all the cliched stuff that producers' assistants do when they're starting. Um, and then I decided I wanted to come back, and I got an MBA. And then I made a movie, which no one here saw. No one has seen, really. We went to a few festivals, and um, I made it independently. And then um, I got my start in theater because my father started producing, and that he worked on. And while I was working on the second one, which was an Elaine May uh, comedy called Adult Entertainment Off-Broadway, um, uh, that's when I first saw it in the Heights. So, I, you know, I sort of dipped my toe in the water with my dad and then branched out on my own. Right. And do you find that, do you find that the, the work you did previously in sort of other areas that was not quite producing, um, has that come in handy for you? Yeah, certainly. I mean, because I was, I was doing development in the film business, and, um, you know, I consider myself a creative producer, and one of the things I most enjoy is, is helping to develop the script. So I certainly, I, I, I got a lot of experience doing that in, um, you know, reading scripts and, and doing notes and um, working with writers and stuff, so definitely. And then the MBA helped. Right. You don't need an MBA, obviously. Most people don't have one but in, in this business, but, um, but you know, I, I, I was an art history major, and I was always sort of scared of numbers. And, you know, as a producer, you really have to have a facility with them, and I no longer, you know, I, I can do, I can read cash flow statements and balance sheets, and, and you know, I can sort of walk the walk with, with um, my investors. You know, if they ask me a question, and of course I would have gotten there anyway. Um, you know, because you have to learn pretty quickly on your feet when you're raising money. But if they ask a question, you know, there's no question about the financial side of it that I can't answer. So in that regard, I'm, I'm really happy that I went to business school. Right. I see. And Eric? Well, my dad's an eye surgeon. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> my parents really wanted me to be a doctor, I think. But, uh, but um, you know, I get the award for most circuitous uh, route. Um, I was at law school and in, um, in Connecticut also uh, where I'm where I'm sort of back and forth to a lot, um, and, I, and I've spent a lot of time um, 
uh, checking out theater um, uh, in various towns in Connecticut that have a, that, that produce a lot, and, and up in Massachusetts at one of Jenny's old homes right. in Williamstown. I used yeah. to go there. But um, but I I came out of law school and actually was a human rights lawyer for a group that lost its funding, and um, and. At, at, at that point, I said, what am I going to do? I en ended up um, taking a couple of interesting sort of more political jobs, and then, um, and then I became an entertainment lawyer. And after a few years, I, th I thought it would be more interesting to produce than it would be to, to review contracts. <laughs> and I got hired by uh, Woody Allen's film company, which did a little bit of theater. And while I was there, after about two years, I was allowed to, to become a producer. And one of, the, um, one of the projects I did was Long Day's Journey Into Night, which, which had a good run and sort of, sort of pushed me into starting my own company. So that was about about seven years ago. Okay. Right. And, and do you find that your experience as a lawyer comes in handy? Well, it, d it definitely does, and, yeah. uh, particularly the entertainment law. I was an entertainment lawyer essentially for about two or three years, and uh, and I did mostly film work, but <clears throat> but a little bit of theater. And there's, you know, it, it helps in the sense that there are a few things that I do in my office instead of farming out to, to lawyers. But when you do a Broadway production, they're, you know, they're relatively complex, I mean, moderately complex investment documents, and, and virtually everyone hires uh, you know, one, of the, one of the main law firms to, to do that for you. But yes, it definitely does. I've done a show with Eric, and he yes. was amazing oh, yeah. with, the, with the contracts. I and very that, but, <laughs> No, you but, didn't. Um, which show? Uh, we did a, a show Spalding, downtown yeah. called uh, Spalding Gray Stories Left to Tell, yeah. with, which was a Naked Angels and commercial kind of yeah. co- production and Eric was very creative and very s clever about um, our various deals. Well, he thanks. Uh, Jenny, you've mentioned uh, that you you are the sort of nonprofit representative here at this table. Um, how is your sort of day-to-day -day job different than uh, your colleagues here? Well, uh, you know, I have the very good fortune of having um, an institution that su that supports all of the in producing endeavors of of what we do, so it's you know I think what's sc <laughs> I'm going to just say this. What's scary <laughs> about being a commercial producer is that you never know what your next project's going to be and how it's going to kind of support you or not, and how many people are going to follow you into it. And what's beautiful about the nonprofit is that you sort of have the structure and the um, uh, agility to sort of continue. Um, always doing new projects that you have a, a really good support structure, be it through it, you know your audience membership and your foundations and your government supporters and all of those things that sort of are your your skeleton. And then you know you just get to keep doing what you do. And we have a very fantastically full and able staff that support all of our activities. So. Whereas in the commercial theater, you sort of farm out to these different agencies to do online and all of this. Everything in the public is kind of self-contained. And so um, when, I, when I veer into commercial theater, I'm always going around and around to different agencies. But when I'm at the public, I just go down the hall. Right. It's much more kind of collective spirit kind of thing. And do you then concentrate on programming or on the sort of day-to-day -day rehearsal of shows uh, happening? Like, what do you find your... Um Most of my responsibility lies in making sure the shows are being produced, so that I'm not... I'm, I do get involved in the artistic programming. I'm, I'm definitely on the artistic staff of the public theater, but uh, I... Once, basically, what they do is they say, okay, this is the play, and here's the director that we have associated with the play, and go. You make the budget, you, you know, figure out who else is going to be involved, work with the casting department, work with the marketing department, work with the communications department, and sort of solve all the problems. And so then 
I sit down with the director and we start to we start from there. Right. Uh, you mentioned that uh, you consider um, David your mentor, Patrick. Um, oh, definitely. Do yeah. you, do any of, of the rest of you consider someone a mentor and th th who had a, an influence on what you do and how you do it? Well, I would say both my father, yeah. and um, who's a wonderful man and very well respected in the industry, and also, I mean, they would hate to hear me say this, but Kevin and Jeffrey <laughs> definitely <laughs> got it. They, they hate it. Just because they don't want to be thought of as mentor, to, you know. They, I just, I felt, I learned so much from them, right. and um, they're, they're, they were amazing. So, I will say that's the cool thing about, and I, I haven't really worked in any other business other than the theater, but one of the cool things about working in theater is. I mean, there is this, this, it is a family in a way, and I, I find that, you know, you can go up to, I, I, you know, and I've also worked on some shows outside of, you know, the things that I've worked on and co-produced with David. Um, I've done both of Twyla Tharp shows, um, the Dylan show and the Sinatra show I'm, I'm involved with, um, with the Niederlanders. And working with, you know, Jimmy Niederlander, it ha it's also been great. I mean, you know, he, he's receptive. He calls me for my thoughts. I mean, and it's, you would think someone of his stature wouldn't really care what I would think, but he does. And it's, it's really, it's very cool. It's very cool. I have yeah. to say, I learn producing from everybody. Yeah. I find new mentors all the time. I mean, because people are, I mean, directors teach me about producing. Actors often teach me about producing. Uh, our general managers teach me about producing. I find inspiration from so many people that I work with. Casting directors, they all they all inform me. I find there are so many people out there that you just sort of soak up like a sponge. So it would be hard for me to name everyone. Um, although I will say that that a, a great guy and a, and a major force in theater and, and everywhere else is Bill Haber. I've mm -hmm. probably done more shows with him mm -hmm. than anyone else. And and um, and it, and I'd say the number one thing about someone like that, if you can, if you're lucky enough to meet someone like him, is to note his example as an incredibly um, principled honest, straightforward person who, who just sets a great example in general. And, and that's, I think that's really important, especially in commercial mm -hmm. producing, which has this checkered history of being a little bit sort of in the past, of being a little shysterous. I think it's much less so now. I mean, virtually, you know, that the, the sort of Nathan Lane, you know, creepy producer type from the musical <laughs> doesn't really exist anymore, partially because of regulations, legal stuff that have been, that have been uh, instituted by the Attorney General's office and, and, um, and the state of New York, but also because I think, I think those people have been weeded out a long, long time ago. So anyway, so there's a, there's a sort of look at so many powerful people that you can kind of draw on. And I worked with Bill once, yeah. actually, and I, I, you know, this might be getting too specific, but I, I think he's the most, he's so great and such a mensch. Yeah. And um, I worked with him on a tiny little play that Mike Nichols produced. Um, and uh, Bill and Bob Boyette right. brought me on to produce with them. And I thought, oh my God, what a great experience. I can work with Mike Nichols. And um, after our first meeting, Bill sent me an email and said, uh, you know, I, I watched you in there and I remembered when I was just starting out and I'm going to put your name in front of mine in the credits. And I just, I couldn't even believe it. It was the love, it was a little tiny play and it's not like it, it you know, it was up for three weeks, I think, but it was just the loveliest, manchiest thing that he could do. So, yeah. There are a lot of great, great producers out there. Yeah. Do you feel like the sort of abundance of mentors out there, is that um, quality sort of encouraged uh, by the sort of small, community nature of the theater business versus, say, film and TV, which is far more diffuse? I think so. Yeah, yeah I think the theater business is so specific, you know, there, it's, there's nothing else really like it, and I, I think that, 
I just find that people are always willing to answer questions, mm -hmm. even you know, even people that I would be ordinarily intimidated by. Uh, you know, you can approach people and ask questions, and they take you seriously. I don't. I don't. Do you find that? No, I think that's very true. Although I do think it's a relatively rare. I mean, it's a great a great thing that Patrick ended up uh, sort of developing because I think that a lot of producers who are very prolific just don't have the time to mentor someone the mm -hmm. way that David mentored Patrick. This may create a run on your office with uh, <laughs> resumes, but but um, but that's I mean that's a pretty you know sort of special thing yeah. uh, to get that kind of attention and that kind of relationship. But I've worked in both industries, and definitely there's just there's a really friendly community, I think, in theater, and a real willingness to, to offer advice. And, um, and I just love the whole, I mean, it sounds so cliche, but the whole, like, let's roll up our sleeves and put on the show nature of it, which is very different from, from film, I think. Well, and theater is inherently an, a, an art you pass down. That's the whole point of it, is it's something that you do pass from one generation to the next. So I, say, I think it just inherently does that. And it's immediate, you know. It's it's not like a movie which can be shot and then just sort of shelved for a while and you know, lost in the editing process or, or or whatever. But you know, theater. It's every night, eight o'clock. That curtain goes up, and it's sort of a, a joint effort to make that happen. I think on a daily basis. Yeah, and that family exists yeah. for you know, hopefully a long time. You know, whereas on a movie, it's wrapped and you go, you all go your separate ways. So, yeah, I think it's pretty great. If you're lucky. Yes, if you're lucky. <laughs> For each of you as producers, what appeals to you when you're looking uh, for new work? Do you find that uh, you can characterize the kinds of things that you respond to? I don't really um, sort of discriminate between new and, and classic or new and old. I've done a lot of, uh, a lot of revivals, um, sometimes sort of what people would say innovatively. I mean, Simon McBurney directed All My Sons, and he's, he's pretty avant-garde. Uh, I don't know if that's a word he'd like, but, um, but he's, he's, a, he's a very progressive director. Um, other times, you know, sort of a very, a, a very straight up, you know, a very straight up classic. I mean, Long Day's Passing Acting and Directing. And, and um, um, right now, with, with Miracle Worker, we hired a, a great young director in, in, um, in Kate Wierski. And, um, and it, it's in the round, which is, which is both exciting because you're right on top of them and problematic if, if times you don't, you don't want to be in a certain angle. And, and, um, but but new works are important to me too, and and probably my my first time as a lead producer on Broadway was Bridge and Tunnel, and that was you know as sort of raw and fresh as you could get. She was she was someone who had developed it in the tiny little clubs downtown, and then it came to what was then the Culture Project on on Bleecker Street, and um and and I actually was a uh, an associate producer on that, and then brought it to Broadway. Um, so for me. Um, I've I've actually evolved a lot to sort of knowing now what I want to do, which is which is to say the things that that sort of um, grip me. Do you consider yourself a plays uh, a producer of plays versus musicals mainly? I've jumped into a few musicals, yeah. never as a lead. I've always been I've always been a co-producer, um, and um, and we probably should define it for the audience, which is to say that the lead producer ultimately. Um, officially will be a general partner or, or a managing member and control the project. Co-producers are often billed next to them, um, they're credited next to them, but they're not in control. They usually just consult and they come to meetings. Associate producers are basically the same thing, but they bring less capital to the table and they're billed a little bit down, down, further down. Um, so, th so I think the answer is that um, for the most part I've done plays, probably 20 plays and four musicals or something like that. And um, I, think, I think that it does draw me a little more. It's it's sort of you know sort of the 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 more common play that sort of hits me over the head. I think probably because they use 
words, you know, as its primary currency and not and not music. And to me, I sort of I'm always trying to think and feel and stuff like that. And I think I think that that words do it more for me often. Um, but but which is not to say anything about musicals. Other than that, for me, it's harder to find the perfect musical that I want to jump into. For me, the things that appeal to me are are, are things that I feel like I haven't seen before. Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm watching something and, I, and it takes me by surprise and I'm like, you know, that's different. I, I feel like I haven't seen that before. I mean, so much of what, so much of what I go to see, um, it's just, I feel like I've seen it. And so to see something that's fresh and it doesn't happen all the time, but yeah, I just like to feel like something it's like something new. Um, and you know, my, my taste runs a little bit towards rock. Um, you know, I'm a classic rock guy, so I just, you know, Next to Normal is definitely an example of that. You know, it's I, it's a rock musical, but I think it's also a very traditional musical at its core. Mm -hmm. um, and I like experiences that y there's a lot of good entertainment out there. I love, you know, there's some great TV, um, there's some great movies, and I think theater needs to be an experience that it can, you know, that's about that's immediate and and that's a real like I don't know what am I trying to say? It's that's inherently an theatrical. An experience that you can yeah. only get in a theater. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that you're not going to get watching a movie or watching TV, but something that's just that, an experience in a theater. I want to be, I mean, I feel exactly the same way as Patrick. I want to be surprised. I want to see something new. I primarily am interested in musicals. I would definitely do a play, and I actually started associate producing a few plays. But, but um, yeah, I just, I, and, and new music, new sounds, something that makes me sit forward in my seat like in the Heights did when I first saw it. Um, so, and you never know where you're gonna find it, so. The first play that I associate produced, um, which was outside of David's office and he encouraged me to do it, was a play that I saw at the Long Wharf called 16 Wounded um, mm -hmm. back in 2004. And I went to the Long Wharf and I, I saw it up there and I was with a friend and after, and the playwright was a friend of mine, which was my primary reason for going to see it. And for the two-hour train ride back to the city, I couldn't speak after seeing that play. Mm -hmm. I was so blown away. Uh, and you know, I, I, I did it as an act of passion, really, to be a part of bringing that show um, to Broadway. I didn't raise very much money. Um, I was an associate producer, and I did it primarily as a way to learn. Um, Rocco Landisman was the lead producer, so I, to, to be able to sort of you know, watch him in meetings and learn was was a great experience. Um, you know, it was heartbreaking. The play got eviscerated by the New York Times and closed in a week. But you know, it didn't make the experience any less valuable. I mean, and I think in general, you learn more from the things that don't work than you do from the things that do. I think that's true. So. I love the storytelling of the theater. I do love that that's a live collective experience. And so I am always drawn to when the storytelling kind of turns its, you know, because, you know, there's only so many stories. But when the storytelling turns itself on its head, either by what the writer's doing or by what the, by what the director's doing or what the composer's doing, if it just sort of like does something differently that makes me kind of prick up my ears, then I'm, that's what inspires me. You consider yourself a sort of creative, hands on mm -hmm. uh, producer. I wondered. First of all, if you could tell me a little bit about what that means for you, and then I wanted to get your the t uh, your take from the rest of you about how you consider how you balance um, creative and sort of you know business concerns. Well, as Eric explained, I mean, when you're a lead producer, you're sort of in control of everything. So you have to wear your creative hat, and you also have to wear your business hat. Um, so 
Um, I, just, I just love to get in there and work with writers and help develop material. And we did a lot of that. We developed in the Heights for four years before it got off-Broadway, and then we developed it obviously more between off-Broadway and Broadway. And, um, you know, and I think, I think part of being the creative producer is also um, involved with your marketing and thinking of new ways to market and new ways to, you know, sort of do stuff virally on, on the web. And, you know, mm -hmm. that's become such a huge, uh, probably the, the biggest um, part of, of marketing and advertising now. And, um, and casting. I love casting. I, love, I just think all those things are fun. And obviously, you also have to watch the bottom line and keep the budget low. And, and you, know, you know, one of the great things about In the Heights is, um, you know, the capitaliz capitalization wasn't that high um, for a musical of that size. And the running costs are pretty low. So, you know, if you can do that and you're successful, then, you know, it's obviously helpful. How often do you find the two hats want to get into a fight with each other? <laughs> um, I, I guess I guess pretty often, but it's it's um, you know that's why it's great to work with partners and certainly partners who have done this a lot. So um, you know, I don't know what you guys think. Do you guys also consider yourselves pretty hands-on creatively when you're? The, the cool thing is, I think one of the things as a young producer is the marketing that Jill started talking about. Um, for example, we started on Next to Normal, we did this whole thing on Twitter, which no one, it's sort of a new technology and no one even really knows what it is. Um, but we, we, we did this thing where um, Tom Kitt and Brian Yorkie sort of took s suggestions from people via Twitter and actually wrote a song. And it became a master class in songwriting. I mean, they mm -hmm. really, you know, people would you know respond, and it was totally interactive, and it was great. And I don't know if it sold any tickets, but it definitely got the show out there in, mm -hmm. in a way to, to people that may have never heard of it before. And that was something David was like, I don't know what Twitter is. He's <laughs> like, he's like, run with it. And he told you know he totally like he's like take the ball and just run with it. And you know we and we did. We got a full page story in the New York Times on the Twitter campaign. It became a bit of a something that our show was was um, identified with. Do you, do all of you feel like you maybe have a stronger instinct in terms of how to get younger audiences into, um, into the theater versus someone who's maybe a little older? Like, you know what Twitter is, for instance? Uh, <laughs> I learned as I was doing this, but I didn't even really. It, it, it was something that I learned as we did it, but yeah. I think well, we just we all grew up with. I mean, first of all, we're all youngish. We're not we're not like <laughs> we're not that crazily young. But um, I think um, we all grew up with the internet, so yeah. we're not afraid of it. I think in the ways that some older producers might be, or who don't understand it at all. And um, I think you know, for us, Lin Manuel made a lot of videos that went on YouTube, and and that were you know just great ways of mm -hmm. spreading the word. And then recently, we put Corbin Blue into the show, and he's in High School Musical. And um, you know, obviously, we advertised his his involvement, and we have you know we we made new billboards in Times Square and et cetera, et cetera. But there is so much that was done for us by all the bloggers and the people on Twitter, and um, and it, and it's really it's just so helpful, and you save so much money, and it just it gets out there so much more quickly. It's just viral, and it takes on a life of its own. Yeah. I don't know really if we does. I don't know if we know what brings in younger audiences, but I think we're more likely to be attracted to material that could attract younger audiences. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's the easier way to approach that question. Totally agree. Um, and you too consider yourself hands-on? 
Eric. Yeah, it's really important to me. I think um, there are some extraordinarily prolific producers who feel I could do that for a lot of reasons. Um, I mean, I, besides the fact that I keep a lean office, but it's but it's also because I find that I I try to be I sort of try to be compulsive about certain things. I get calls from investors and co-producers and you know and and agents and and I and it's important to me to call people back, you know, sort of without missing a person and to call them back promptly if possible and then you know and I may be up late sort of thinking about a marketing idea and how we can make this work and that work so very hands-on sort of in the scope of things although to me it's really important to do what I think you know sort of the great old-time producers um, like Robert Whitehead and um, and Hal Prince who's still who's still out there which is which is lucky for all of us who who really kind of want to want to try to see what if they have anything to help the material so um, and Jill was talking a lot about about working, you know, and helping in the Heights uh, shape itself. It's really important to me. I mean, um, the first, I think, the very first play did actually was the Crucible, and Arthur Miller was still mm -hmm. alive, and um, he was at rehearsal all the time. And it was great. I was really too junior to, to ever want to say anything to, to even the you know the lead producer. Um, but um, then I sort of came a little full circle and, and was the lead on the first posthumous production of an Arthur Miller play on Broadway. And in that case, there wasn't Arthur, but his daughter Rebecca, who's a great film director, was was very open to hearing um, things, particularly from our director, who's a, who was a genius. But also, um, he was interested in my opinions, and we had back and forth, and that was really important to me because I think there were things that he convinced me about, there were things that I convinced him about, and, that, and that's it's rewarding. But I think it's also important because I think no play is no play is perfect, and no and no play is you know sort of without substantial merit in almost every case, uh, certainly that we've seen on Broadway, I think. And so, so yes, being creative is, is really important to me. And I'd love to move more and more from that and, and somehow work out some of the business things, you know, through, through systems and, and spend less time with what becomes a little more rote, you know, and a little more sort of mechanical. One of the things commercial producers do, Jenny is exempt from this, is, is raising money. Is, you, know, you, you drum up some investors. Do you find, particularly when you were starting out, is that harder? Because you've never done it before and you're calling people who probably have never called with a call like that. How, does that, how did that work for you? It's hard. <laughs> it's hard. Um, you know, people invest for different reasons and I think it gets easier the more that you do it because, you know, you, you have, one of the smart things that I did, and again, this is one of the things David very wisely, you know, gave me an opportunity as my mentor to, um, was to raise a little bit of money for Wicked. So I didn't even know what I was doing at the time, but I had some family friends, and I was like, you know, you should, and I was like, you should do this. And so and that turned out pretty well. For it turned out really <laughs> well. For that. And so they'll do whatever you know. I can call them and sort of they'll do whatever I want to do. So when I wanted to take a, a bigger risk on something like Next to Normal, you know, they had my back and were and were there. But the more you do it, it gets easier because your your, your pool widens. Um, but it's it's tough. I mean, I think people invest in theater for different reasons. Most people do it because they love it and they want to be a, a part of of making good theater and they you know have jobs outside of the business and they they kind of want to be a part of the industry. Um, and I, I think you just have to appeal, I've learned that you sort of have to appeal to their sen different sensibilities and that every investor sort of invests for different reasons and you kind of have to figure out what they are and, and appeal to them. But it gets easier, but it's, 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 not, it's my least favorite part of producing. 
One of the, re I mean, there are a lot of reasons why you have to be so passionate in this business, but one of the reasons is because you can really sell your passion to an investor. Mm -hmm. um, and if you really believe, it's, it's much easier to, to make them believe as well. I think most investors know. I mean, they just want to be a part of it and they want to be, you know, is it's, it's glamorous and it's also, it's important. But I think, you know, 80% of shows don't recoup on Broadway. And I think most investors know that. So they know, you know, a lot of my investors, when they would get a return check, so this is just a return on their investment, not, you know, before we had recouped, would thank me and say, oh, I made money. And I, I would say, no, you, you haven't actually, <laughs> <laughs> actually I made anything yet. Um, but they still, it was like a gift almost. And it's certainly become easier for me. Um, you know, the more successes you have, I think, the easier it is. And I, I also find there are a lot of people who are sort of scared to ask people for money. And I find that every single person I've asked, whether they've said yes or no, has appreciated the ask. Definitely. They really, they're so appreciative and they think, and they think it's sort of fun and exciting and they say, well, if not now, maybe next time. And so, yeah. I don't love it. It's my least yeah. favorite thing too, yeah. but. But it, does. it starts with friends and family, and I and you know when you begin your career, people are investing in you as much as right. they are in the show. Um, yeah, and, so, and some shows are easier. You know, Spelling Bee, I had to. We transferred from second stage very quickly. We were, had rave reviews. It was a smash. Um, we recouped the show in like 14 weeks. I actually had to sort of reduce my investors because I didn't have enough room for them all. So That's a good problem you know, to have. That was a great problem to have. <laughs> Whereas next to normal, and at that point, at that point, you had a product you could point to. You yes. could say, "This is that. This is yes. what the show is." Yeah. Yes. Right. I'm so sorry. I go on. That had seen it at second stage, um, and next to normal was, you know, I was raising the money this time last year. It mm. was not that the economy's gotten that much better, but then it was really dominating the front page mm -hmm. of the newspaper every day. Was how everything was collapsing. Mm -hmm. So to raise money for a rock musical about bipolar manic depression at that time <laughs> was the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, I still have nightmares about it, <laughs> and we just recouped. So, oh, congratulations. congratulations! So That's it's amazing. yeah. I think you know everyone was really just sort of huh, but yeah, that's great. Do you get involved? Uh, you probably don't do a whole lot of fundraising work for the public. No, but I, I did right in my, my yeah. Past you must lives. have before. Yes, yeah, um, it's, it's virtually the same thing, except yeah. that there's no return on investment. Except, but there's the gratitude of giving to a, <laughs> a nonprofit institution. <laughs> Um, but it's the same thing. It's the same kind of. Uh, it, it's exactly what Patrick said, which is people give as much to people as they do to to projects or places. So I think it is a, so much about what they're both saying about how you are passionate about it and what you're kind of expressing and asking that person to share in your mission is. It's it's pretty much the same thing. So, Patrick, you mentioned uh, the economy. How has that affected your lives um, in the last year? Well, I mean, I think the public theater um, and all of our nonprofit brethren have been hit by it. But the recovery, you're, we're starting to see the effects of it. I mean, I think there were certainly cutbacks we had to take almost right away. And we're just now taking baby steps to getting more things back into place from those cutbacks. Um, but it's slow. And, um, and I think that audiences, I mean, their their buying patterns, as as Jill said earlier in the program, have definitely they're definitely more careful about their dollars. And I think, I mean, in terms of even Broadway, I know that we're discounting more than we normally would because people are more aware about discounts and they're being more careful. So I think across the boards, both downtown and uptown, we're seeing the effects. But I don't feel like 
fewer people are coming to the theater necessarily. I mean, maybe a little bit, but not significantly. Um, because I think people really do crave entertainment in, you know, in times that are t difficult. You know, that's always, and the common experience that we've all been talking about throughout, I think is really important to people. So that's good. I think people aren't buying in, in advance as much. I think people sort of know that they can go, with the exception of a few shows, but people know that they can go to the box office Advance, do you think that's true? Or? Yeah, well, we have a lot of day of sales yeah. actually, so I think Next you're probably. Next huge day of. And TKTS booth is really booming yeah. um, these days. But yeah, I think, I mean, obviously January and February are the most difficult months for the industry in general, and I think we've been particularly hard hit lately. And I think, I think people will still pay to see what they want to see, and they will pay top dollar right. if it's something that they really want to see. Right. Mm -hmm. But, but it just, you, you can't force them to see it, they have to want to see it. So, you know, you know, you hope that a great review in the New York Times is going to help, but, you know, it doesn't necessarily. And, um, you know, word of mouth is, I think, the single most important thing. Absolutely. And, um, and you know, you hope that that helps, but, um, you know, I think I, we're, we're seeing, we're, we're coming out of it now, I think, though. Yeah. Yeah. Are you finding that as yeah. in terms of fundraising or getting audiences in and things like that? What Are you seeing signs of that, Eric? I think so, yeah. I mean, I, I think that, you know, I. I noticed something last year, I mean, I was asked the question a lot. I was really lucky because, um, because all my sons and Seagull, which I was a co-producer on, um, both recouped and pretty quickly. Um, and people said, like, you know, what's going on? Because that, that was in the fall of 08, which was sort of, you know, sort of zero hour. It was terrible um, time for the economy in general. And I, and I do think um, what Jenny said is exactly right, which is that um, there are things that people give up in their lives in tough times, and there are things, you know, and I say this generally, it's not true with everyone, but, but um, there are things that people don't give up so easily. And I think, irrespective of theater, I think a lot of people feel Saturday nights are important to them, mm -hmm. or, you know, for some people, or for them it's really important to still take the, the holiday trip or whatever it is. But by and large, what, what I found, um, uh, unscientifically, is that people are giving up, you know, sort of things that are that are big ticket items, whether it has to do with a new car or home or a big vacation that they that isn't necessarily tradition or jewelry and art, you know, that kind of things, mostly affordable, even theater, which is a lot more expensive than film, and that people keep keep wanting that in their lives. It's very important. And I'll tell you something, Hollywood, not so much independent film, but Hollywood and their blockbusters have tend to, in downtimes, kind of start to head up because people are, are flocking there where it's relatively mm -hmm. inexpensive and, and at the cost of other types, types of entertainment, which are more expensive. And, um, and Broadway held up. Uh, I think you guys will know. I think Broadway had its biggest year at the box office mm -hmm. last year, right? And, and uh, as a whole. Um, investors have been a little drier. That's sort of opening up again. And, and again, the irony is that Broadway as a whole hasn't suffered every single year. As far back as we can go, there are big hits every single year. Mm -hmm. It may only be 20, 25% of the shows, but there are big hits every year. Yeah, and I think, you know, over the summer, certainly, there were a lot of people who weren't taking the big vacations out of the city, but they, they were doing those stay, staycations, and I think they were they were. Is really that true? Coming. Did that, do you I, think I that think actually so. happened? I, I do think so. there was a lot of talk so. about that. But yeah. Um, yeah, the grosses over the summer were quite good, and every time there's a holiday weekend, they're pretty, they're pretty mm -hmm. good across the board. So that's encouraging, certainly. Right. I think it's also informed, you know, as producers put shows together, I think it's important to, to look at what your running costs are and, and to put together a model that, that can work um, without having to necessarily sell out at you know, full price. Mm -hmm. um, 
I think hair is a good example mm -hmm. of that. You know, I mean, I think because shows and next to normal the, are young, they're you know they're younger audiences, and so they can't necessarily afford one hundred and twenty dollars a ticket. So I think as as shows are structured, I think producers are, are looking at that and looking at models and ways to sort of have a lower capitalization and, and, and a show that can financially work. If recouping your investment and making a profit is sort of the obvious sign of success financially, what uh, sort of criteria do you, do you use to judge a show's success from a creative standpoint? Mm. I think you know there are the obvious ones like reviews and awards, um, and whether they're the awards leading up to the Tonys or the Tonys themselves. But I think you know some of my the things that I've been the proudest of have not necessarily been financial successes or sometimes even critical successes. I mean, um, and. Uh, can and you give us an example sure, of something that you're yeah. um, very proud of? There are a few of them. Um, there are a few shows that I did where the people sort of in relatively large numbers, not thousands of people, but, but over and over out here, this, this show affected me deeply or even this show changed my life. I mean, mm -hmm. that's amazing. Um, and um, and to a more specific example, I mean, uh, the, current, the current play, um, Miracle Worker, has, I've gotten calls from people who are Deaf, uh, some of whom I invited myself, um, and one who's a friend actually, and they said they could never go to a play before. I think we're the first play ever to have this different technology mm -hmm. called descriptive and eye caption, so that both blind people can hear what's going on, the stage directions, and deaf people can read what's going on. And um, and in addition, the play is about this moment of, of breakthrough where this little girl goes from a wolf into a little wolf into a, into a, a, a communicating uh, person and then she goes on not in the play to become this crusader doing great things for other people which is amazing and I think that you know um, again I think that, that being in the round has caused a lot of issues and, and we're not sure where, how the show's going to ultimately do but I'm really proud of the fact that that in some ways um, it has affected people so deeply um, people who may not have any hearing or, or seeing problems. And, and that, to me, is really important. I don't want to lose investors' money if we don't end up making it. But, um, but I always sort of tell people in the beginning, this, there, there's a, I always say this is really important, going back to another question, so, which is that I always lay out the risks. I always say to everyone, even my oldest investors, um, I say, here's the risks. Here's where it's strong and here's where it's risky. And if, and if you're putting money in that you're going to think about when you go to sleep, don't do it. And if, I think if you do that, those people keep coming back as long as they can and as long mm -hmm. as they want to. So there's a pretty big, <laughs> big broad answer for you. <laughs> and for the rest of you, what do you consider uh, marks of creative success? I always feel really good when the artist's involved and the audience is involved, because I think the audience reaction is really important. But I think when the artists feel like their best work happened because of what you did, that's, to me, so fulfilling. And it's actually surprisingly not easy to accomplish. You know, I mean, sometimes, you know, you have creative differences or sometimes uh, there's, some, there's, a fa you know, there's some kind of factor that just doesn't allow the best work to happen. So when the best work happens and it's audiences, like that to me is like a theater miracle. <laughs> yeah, I and mean, the letters that I've gotten from people on, uh, people that have been moved by Next to Normal have, like, moved me to tears. I mean, I've gotten, I mean, just every day there's like a different letter from someone who has been affected by mental illness or their family's been affected by it and they write these letters about how how the show has been such a catharsis for them I mean and there's no you know you can't really put a value on that I mean that's just I mean I think that's why we do what we do and a show like Spelling Bee which is a comedy 
now as that's being done everywhere mm -hmm. in you know high schools and colleges and regional theaters I love the fact that the people that don't get to sit at the cool table necessarily in the mm -hmm. lunchroom are going to be able to have the lead roles and that also has a sort of a value you know the you know the fat kid and the dorks are gonna kind of sort of have their moment and um, so as that you know is done all over the place I kind of I, I just I love that yeah, and within the Heights, obviously, we've we've had financial success, and we won the Tony, and that's been wonderful. But I think um, you know the cast has been so appreciative, and they're they're such they're so thrilled to be a part of this family. And also, you know, when a lot of student groups come to the show, and a lot of kids have never seen a show before, and they've certainly never seen themselves on stage before. And that, I mean, every time I'm there, when that happens, I actually cry. I mean, it's it's a really beautiful thing, and it just feels like. It just feels very rewarding and gratifying, so. All right, I think this is a good question to wrap it up on. Thank you all cool. uh, for joining us, and thank you for joining us. These programs are brought to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York in partnership with our friends at CUNY TV. On behalf of the American Theatre Wing, I'm Gordon Cox, and thanks for joining us for another edition of Working in the Theatre. I'm Ted Chapin, Chairman of the American Theatre Wing. The Wing has played a vital role in New York's theatrical life for more than 60 years. Best known for creating the Tony Awards, we stand for excellence, but we also support education in the theater, and our work reaches beyond Broadway in New York. The Working in the Theater television programs, which are supported by the Annenberg Foundation and the Dorothy Strelson Foundation, are unequaled forums for discussions with today's most creative artists. Downstage Center's in-depth radio interviews were created in conjunction with XM Satellite Radio and can be heard on our website. Our annual theater company grants support New York not-for-profits and since they began have distributed nearly $3 million. We are also pleased to be the home of the Jonathan Larson grants, which support emerging composers and lyricists. For people who are starting their careers, we have a two-week boot camp for aspiring actors from colleges across the country called Springboard NYC. And our theater intern group provides a forum for young people who are starting their careers to build a professional network. All of the American Theater Wing's educational and media programs are available for free on demand from our website, americantheaterwing.org. Thanks for your interest in the Wing, and thanks for watching.